Hey there, listener. In this episode, we talk about lots of herbs and wild edibles. It's lots of fun, but we got to throw in a few disclaimers. First, none of this is intended as medical advice, so please don't do anything without consulting your doctor, because neither Colleen nor I are one of those. And second, make sure that if you go out foraging for your next cocktail project, take along somebody who really knows their stuff. That's how we all stay safe and healthy. Now, on to the show. Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 141 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. This time around, we catch up with former guest and longtime friend of the podcast, Colleen O'Brien, who's the driving force behind Wild Roots Apothecary in beautiful Sperryville, Virginia. Colleen was a guest way, way back in episode five, where we talked about tons of fun ways to incorporate herbs into your drinks. And this time around, we take springtime as an opportunity to discuss foraging, cultivating, and processing herbs, succulents, and flowers for culinary and cocktail applications. We get into a whole ton of fun stuff in our chat, but before we go too deep here, let's take a moment so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is dandelion wine, which I know, I know it's not a cocktail, but it is a fun DIY project that we discuss in more detail during our conversation. The recipe I'm about to share with you is one that I modified from allrecipes.com using critical feedback from various reviewers who tweaked the recipe to be more successful in their opinion than the original. To make dandelion wine, you'll need half a gallon of dandelion blossoms, just the yellow flowers, not the green stems and sepals. Three to four cups of sugar, depending on how sweet you like your wine. An orange, a lemon, and a lime, all sliced. One gallon of water and one packet of winemaker's yeast. And like most large fermenting projects like this one, you're gonna want some sort of quart-sized mason jars, right? to put your end product in. You could also use those bottles with the lovely swing tops. And you're also gonna want a fairly large glass fermenting carboy with an airlock. The process for making the dandelion wine goes as follows. When those pesky little dandelions start blossoming all over, go out with a half gallon milk jug that you've cut the top off of and fill it with just the fluffy yellow blossoms of the flower. Or if you wanna be super efficient, dig up the whole dandelion and use the roots and leaves for your next bitters project. But for this purpose, we just want the blossoms. Then in a large stock pot, bring your gallon of water up to a boil, add the dandelion blossoms in, and then cut the heat and let them steep overnight. That's gonna let all that beautiful flavor kind of seep out. Next, you're gonna to wanna to remove and discard the blossoms, then add in your citrus and sugar, and boil it for a further 10 minutes, stirring to make sure, of course, that the sugar dissolves. Then you're gonna strain the liquid, which is now this dissolved sugar, as well as the infused citrus and dandelion water, into your sterile fermenter, and you're gonna to wanna to wait until that water cools to around 90 degrees Fahrenheit, 
and then add the yeast and store it in a cool, dark place for a couple of weeks. I know that sounds a little bit complicated, but you're gonna do this over the course of many hours and it's very easy to you know, kind of go back to the recipe and consult it. Uh, fermentation is interesting, but it really shouldn't be all that intimidating. When the wine stopped bubbling, usually between 10 and 14 days, that means that the yeast have converted all the sugar they can into alcohol. At this point, you can filter and bottle the wine, especially if you've been using that airlock to release the CO2 produced by the yeast. But if you haven't used an airlock in your fermentation, you're gonna want to give some of that carbon dioxide a bit of time to blow off, unless you want your jars or bottles to explode after bottling. Dandelion wine is often aged in the bottle for six months or more to allow the flavors to meld together, but let's keep in mind that this isn't a left bank Bordeaux, so there's no reason why you shouldn't drink it within two years of bottling. So, now that you've got a delicious DIY project to add to your springtime list, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this lush, verdant conversation with herbalist Colleen O'Brien of Wild Roots Apothecary, some of the topics we discuss include... Which herbs, flowers, and succulents are blooming right now and just begging to be harvested and enjoyed? The various ways to prepare your foraged or cultivated plants, whether that's in a DIY bitters, a sweet and tangy oxymel, or even a flavorful hydrosol. How to use different parts of plants for different applications, both as food and as nutritive medicine to help your body thrive. Ways to expand your plant horizons even when you're living in a city, including urban gardening, composting, and even vermiculture. How to properly and effectively employ herbs and flowers as cocktail garnishes. Where Colleen would stage her perfect outdoor cocktail bar setup and much, much more. To me, Colleen is like the Yoda of herbs and plants. She knows the science, the physiology, and the technical scientific terms for everything, but the cool thing is, instead of throwing around big words, she takes a very grounded, mindful approach to educating. Ask the plant if it wants to be harvested, she says. Let it tell you how it wants to be used. She's a wonderful advocate for the flavors that can be found all around us in the natural world, and we'll have links to Colleen's online shop and social media on the show notes page, so definitely head over there and stock up on all her wonderful bitters, syrups, and teas to help you enjoy the emergence of spring all the more. With that, please enjoy this flavorful, green conversation with my friend Colleen O'Brien of Wild Roots Apothecary in Sperryville, Virginia. Colleen, thanks for being on the podcast again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So for those of you who aren't familiar with our deep catalog of episodes way, way, way back in the beginning, Colleen was uh, one of our very first guests, and it was uh, actually one of the most popular interviews of all time, actually. So uh, I'm really glad to have you back and uh, talk more a little bit about herbs, plants, and uh, how to use them in cocktails. Well, I'm always excited to share, and spring is one of my favorite seasons to do this. So, yeah, yeah, and I think our first podcast was a spring podcast as well. Um, so, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and maybe what an apothecary is these days? Sure. Yeah. So, um, my name's Colleen O'Brien. I own Wild Roots Apothecary, um, which is a retail location, a physical location. 
we'd invite you out if you could come, but you know where we're at right now. But we're at the base of um, the Thornton Gap entrance of um, the Shenandoah Mountains and the Blue, or the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so I've been here for about three years. And so for me, I started just doing herbs, um, herbal medicine as a profession about five years ago. It's five years now. Gosh, that goes mm -hmm. fast. And um, I love using our our apothecary as a dispensary. So we have herbs that we grow and harvest, and then we also have products that we make, and then products that we, um, and then we take people out to learn about the plants in, in all kinds of different ways through classes and, and foraging and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, so for somebody who's never been to an apothecary shop, um, can you describe kind of what it looks like? Maybe some of the the different sections that you have, because I've, I've been able to visit your shop and it's, it's beautiful. And I really, my, my wife and I really enjoy just going and kind of poking around. So give people like a little, I guess, audio tour of what they see when they walk into your shop. Sure. So the, it's definitely plant, plant forward. Um, we have a hundred and I think we just added 10 more 60, um, of bulk herb jars. So that's just herbs in bulk. Um, and then we do our own um, medicinal blends for supporting people with wellness. And then we also have our tinctures, which are plant medicine using alcohol as the menstruum to take out the plant medicine. So that's kind of behind the counter. And then as you're kind of walking through with my, what's different about my apothecary than maybe other apothecaries is I kind of specialize in the um, cocktail and soda syrup. So that was kind of our signature product, which brought us together. Um, Eric and I and so yeah so that's kind of us and then we have a bunch of different products that are really based I really love um, supporting local um, and I, local people that are trying to grow their businesses in so many ways using plants um, so we're really botanical forward and I think that kind of sums it up and yeah, then it looks like yeah got and some then tea the, accessories behind you yes exactly like we have a whole line of teas I mean it's just it's an experience is what I tell people. I'm like, I don't know what to call it. And then in the back room, we have our production and um, classroom space. Yeah. Um, so when you say production, I'm guessing that that's like, you, you know, where you kind of process the herbs and, mm -hmm. you know, make your blends. And then uh, what kind of what kind of classes do you teach? Uh, you mentioned that you kind of like take people out and uh, do a little bit of education. Um, explain like maybe what that looks like to our listeners. Yeah. So, um, we are blessed to be right along the, um, South Fork, I believe it is of the Thornton, uh, river. And so I take people on what we call wild wanderings, which is basically a plant ID. And I think for me, the benefit of that is we're often tasting, touching, smelling. So we can see a dandelion and I'll talk about what you do with the flower, what you do with the leaf and what we do with the root and kind of, kind of bring people to that whole circle, um, and just keep, keep it. And then we'll just taste something to taste the bitterness of a dandelion, um, leaf and flower versus, um, the root. Oh. Yeah. So we just take, yeah. we, we really walk and learn. I mean, it's great. That's kind of what I was thinking about when you were describing that, um, you know, the, the production space, uh, cause I, you know, a lot of us, we go to the grocery store and we pick up herbs. They come in a jar there's three main brands. There's the fancy one, the mid-grade one, and then the generic one. And you pick your price point and then you leave with something that would be generic herb. Some of these are berries, some of these are roots, some of them are leaves, but we just kind of get it as a commodity. Uh, and so I think 
I'm, one of the things I'm excited to dig into in this episode is like the local aspect and the non-commodity aspect of herbs and plants, because I, I think that's something that you and I both connect on. Definitely. Can we talk about the term plant medicine or plant <laughs> magic and what that means to you? Because uh, I think it it is at risk of being a little hand wavy, but I know that it's very deeply anchored in the natural world for you. So can you talk a little bit about what that means to you? Yeah. Um, so for me, I've always been kind of a plant lover, um, you know, growing plants, being in the garden, you know, started when I was, you know, the nine-year-old up in the peach plum tree, you know, eating plum, raw plums till I almost threw up. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've always had that connection. And and I think everyone, when they come out here, they feel that connection to the earth and they can feel the connection specifically um, when they're coming into my shop or attracted to my what I do, it's because they're feeling connections to the plants. And now, yes, there is a little bit of the woo-woo here, um, but the plants are kind of, for me at least, um, they show up when we need them. Um, they are often talking to us in their own way. So show, you know, like, for example, I... Um, what I call invited nettles into my yard. And, um, she came in a big way. <laughs> so I have, <laughs> I have a flourish of stinging nettles, um, where I used to have a, where I still have a mint patch. So I have a mint and nettle patch now. Um, so they just kind of, for me, it's just like, they, they know what our bodies needs. And the, the magic comes is because unlike a supplement or, um, a constituent of a plant, like taking out the medicinal value, um, say for aspirin, you know, the salicylic acid that's in that, we're actually using the whole plant. So with that, I'm going to use the bark um, and break it down in our own ways to use it as our pain relieving medicine. So it's just kind mm -hmm. of making sure that you're using the whole plant and kind of honoring the work that it's doing in your body. So that for me is the plant magic. It's just mm -hmm. easier to say magic than to like go down that road. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a shortcut for sure. Um, yeah. I remember last summer I took a drive um, up a portion of the Blue Ridge um, Parkway. The Skyline Drive. The, the, sky, skyline the Skyline Drive. drive. There yep. It is, yeah. yep. Um, and I remember at the various lookout points, mm. uh, we'd, we'd get out of the car and we'd look around, and there would just be uh, just a profusion of stinging nettles and like all these different plants mm. that we were able to, you know, kind of identify just sitting there on the side of the road. So it does seem like you uh, live in a fortuitous place uh, just to have access to these fairly wild places, but also, you know, a somewhat temperate climate. Uh, Virginia is a beautiful climate for, for growing things. Um, yes. what, what's exciting right now that's literally coming out of the ground, um, <laughs> that, that you're kind of jazzed about? Oh, well, I mean, for me right now it's, it's violet season. Um, you know, just it, violets are one of our under, um, used. And, and here's the thing also is, is, um, what we're harvesting for the most part, is really accessible to, to most people, either by planting it or finding it or foraging it. So we're never harvesting something. And we, we have our own growing of it all, but we're never harvesting um, anything over. So, But violets, um, now yes, their flowers are gorgeous and fun to eat and throw into salads, but really you can eat the whole plant, um, well, the leaves and above. And so using violets, if you put them in your mouth, they're actually... Uh, what we call stimulsant, which is a fancy word for slimy. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, but they're one of those plants that what it's doing in the body is kind of helping to keep our body really moist and our mucous membranes moist. Um, and then this one specifically has a lot of, um, it's also called heart ease. And so it's really uh, great for the heart and holding, holding space in our hearts to deal with what we need to deal. So, mm. so plants work both on the physical level and then on the emotional level. So, so that is one of those. Plus it's, it's, um, one of those that helps clean up the body and, and, um, work with our kidneys to support, support our body in that way. So, yeah, it's interesting when you start thinking about plants as food and medicine, right? You're just talking mm -hmm. about, you know, oh, yeah. that's delicious. We can throw them in a salad, right? Uh, and in that respect, they're acting as both food and medicine. Um, you just brought in this kind of third aspect, which is like the psychosomatic side of things mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, like, so not only can we, you know, use this plant to dress up the salad, make it more visually appealing, more flavorful. Um, but we're also like in so doing, we're kind of opening up this third opportunity to interact with what's going on in, in the, the mind and the, you know, whatever, uh, less like physical, uh, side of things you want to talk about it. You could call it the soul, the spirit, the, the, the mind, whatever intangible aspect of your body's operation you prefer to, to call it. I, that is really compelling to me. And I think what that ties back to is mindfulness. Um, and, and just being really intentional about what you eat, what you drink. Um, and I, I know that a lot of people right now are probably struggling with that, uh, based on the current circumstances and, um, you know, using alcohol as maybe more of an escape than something to really delight in. Uh, so I, as we keep on going here, I'd, I'd love to continue to think about that mindfulness aspect of, of what you're doing, because I think that's one of the, the things that really appeals to me about your approach. Um, and it's, one of the reasons why I think to me, you, you strike a perfect balance between like the actual physical science, right? You know, the word for what that sliminess is, uh, but you're also willing to kind of meet people where they're at and say, you know, what do you need, you know, besides something healthy for your mucous membranes? Like what, what else are, are you working on, uh, today with your body and your, and your mind? Um, which I think is, is kind of cool. Um, what else is, is popping right now? Um, I, I always hear the restaurants talking about ramps and oh, like yeah. all these other wild forageables. Um, what's, yeah. what's growing? What can we, what can we use? Um, well, you know, I, I try to talk to plants that you can, you know, not the, um, you know, the, <laughs> the ones that are inaccessible, which is ramps is one of those they're over harvested. So unless you're in your own cultivated patch, um, please, please try not to harvest. Um, but yeah, so right now, I mean, I will tell you, it is, it, we, I think somebody just found, posted about their first Merkel, which is, um, they call it out here. So that is the, um, the morel mushroom is starting oh. to come out the ultimate. Yeah. <laughs> so the ramps and morels kind of go out, but on my particular little space, um, we are loving, um, a couple things are popping right now. So chickweed, which is, um, one of my favorite spring greens, uh, I use it all over the place, um, both medicinally and it's a, just a happy plant. So it's, it's one of those that when I find it, I pick the top of the leaves, um, eat those or throw those in the salad and then I'll infuse it into an oil and it just turns bright green, um, mm. you know, just a nice olive oil, let it dry for a couple days and you can use it both in your food 
as a nutritive herb or nutritive food, like just extra green in it, um, or you can use it on your skin. It really likes to take the heat out of the body, helps with eczema, um, you know, rashes, that kind of thing. So, so she's one that's popping. I wrote them all down. Hold on. <laughs> you know how that happens. There's too many. And that's my problem is I get so excited. Um, we just, the wild mustard is a really fun, um, forged green and you can pick all of those you want. Um, those are, uh, bitter, but I love to make them with pasta, um, and a little bit of sausage and it's, it's just a wonderful dish and you blanch them and then you can actually use the roots of the wild mustard, uh, to make your own horseradish cause it's really spicy and it's mm. one of those invasivores is what I call it. Um, so you can still eat it, um, but it actually, uh, sends out a enzyme in the soil to have nothing else grow. So it kind of hurts, hurts it. So we pick it by the bushels and, um, freeze it and preserve it. Nice. Yeah. The other ones that are really fun, um, that I love to use, and I'm, I, I think we've talked about this before, but making your own root beer. So the things that are popping right now, so the spice bush, um, is just, just starting, but if we get a couple hot days, it'll go really fast, but it's that little yellow flowered, um, berry, but you harvest, we're actually harvesting the twigs of that for right now and making our own root beer, that and sassafras, which are two that are really easy for us to, to, find, <laughs> to find around here. Um, so I've really been enjoying that. Um, and then the, the, uh, the cultivated ones. So our mints are starting to pop up. I made my first mojito the other day with our ginger mint, which, you know, it was 80 degrees out. It was time. And yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so anise hyssop is another one that I love. Um, it's in one of our teas for a reason. And lemon balm. So all of those are my mine. And then we're right pretty soon we'll, we'll start heading. I'm not sure when this is airing, but we're going to head into rose. The baby roses will start to come out. And that's always mm. a great a great one to play with. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about, have you ever had any interaction with or success with fiddlehead ferns? Uh, you know, there's, um, the, the ostrich and the cinnamon fern are out here and they have taken over most of our fiddleheads. Mm. Um, that's a specific fern plant that, uh, I haven't seen. It actually has also a, um, it likes to grow a little bit higher in the, the forest. So it's hard to find. So that's one that if you want to grow it, you have to cultivate it. That's more because it's not, it's like weather wise, we're getting all the invasive ferns and then if you keep going up you might find some fiddleheads but i've never find them and you can tell because um they're they're a little more dark and shiny versus the ones you'll see right now are furry and hairy and I, you know Ooh, yeah. <laughs> i don't want things furry and hairy in my mouth <laughs> yeah exactly i remember when i was a kid um we would harvest these every once in a while like when when uh it was this time of year and uh you know, like my mom would just want to kick me out of the house or something. She, you know, I'd, I'd get a, a bucket and uh, a pair of scissors mm-hmm. and uh, we'd go and we'd get our fiddleheads and, uh, yeah. and we'd, we'd blanch them because otherwise they're a little poisonous. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, but I just remember like sought those, those foraged fiddleheads at a time in my life where vegetables were just not all that high on my list. <laughs> It was like one of my first food memories mm. where it was such a direct, you know, some of it had to do, I'm sure, with the direct connection from field to plate. And even as a child, I think something in me recognized that that was something special. Uh, but the, you can't beat the freshness of that flavor. No. Um, it's just not beatable. Not only is it wild, but it's in your backyard and, and you did the, the work to harvest it. And, uh, you know, you kind of, you know, you got the juices of the plant on your hands in, in the process. And I, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Um, 
I will say there's there's a fun one that I've been harvesting for a couple years now. It's not quite up yet, but the Japanese knotweed, that's another invasive one. That's a delicious um, one that we can kind of use like asparagus. Um, where did you grow up? I, I don't remember. I grew up in um, Western Mass. Yeah, uh, so it's that I, colder climate. Yeah. Yeah, I tell people that uh, I grew the 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 place where I grew up was literally ripped out of a Robert Frost poem because mm. there was you know stone old stone walls mm. and it's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons I also brought up that story was because you know we have to be a little bit careful, and you have this this very large catalog of, of knowledge about these plants. And the last thing I want to do is, is, uh, get people all excited to go out and pick, uh, these wild edibles and then mistreat them, uh, or eat something that's not good for you. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't, we don't need to go through a whole list <laughs> here of just telling people what's good and what's not and how to identify it. But are there any resources where people can make sure they know exactly what they're doing before they, they decide to maybe go on their first foraging trip? Yeah, go with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I often tell people, you know, when we do our wandering, I call it our wandering weed walks. Um, but yeah, when we do that, you know, bring your cameras. Um, Sam Thayer's books are pretty good. He's out of, uh, they're actually great um, for identifying. And he goes into things like pickling cattails. And, and so that's fun stuff that is invasive enough that we can harvest it. But you always want to make sure you're not harvesting on private land, especially out here. There's a lot of that. Um, but I'm hoping to pair with some some bigger tracts of land out here to do more intense foraging. We had, um, it just, everything kind of blew up. That was part of my <laughs> April, May plan was to do a bunch of foraging food walks where we could actually create. But just, yeah, asking, um, you know, looking around, um, like I said, that's a great book. And there is, um, uh, Dina Falcone is another author out of New York City. So she's kind of, she's awesome too. So just finding people that you can, you know, but you do want to have a really good, really good guide or a really good source. And then just bring like simple, like taste, touch, mind thing. If it, if you're, I always tell people to like ask the plant if it wants to be harvested, even if it's chickweed. Um, Cause sometimes, you know, if I harvest chickweed and it tells me no, what ends up, I know that sounds woozy, but that what ends up happening is it's bitter. It doesn't taste right. Or, you know, something happens to it. So, but like with, with all of these kind of plants, you definitely want to, um, you know, ask and offer and then double, double check. And if it tastes weird, like if it doesn't taste good, spit it out. You probably picked the wrong plant. <laughs> it usually tells you if it tastes like green and deliciousness, or if you pick up stinging nettles and it stings your mouth, it's, it's your own fault at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's solid advice. Obviously, <laughs> you know, we have to put the disclaimers. No, no, this is medical advice. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now let's, let's say, that maybe one of our listeners is in the circumstance where, I don't know, for some random reason, they've been cooped up inside for a long period of time. <laughs> maybe they're a little stir crazy. Maybe, perhaps, the idea of getting into nature uh, and starting to you know, think about foraging mm-hmm. is appealing. Yeah. How would you tell somebody or like what steps might they take to prepare for you know, an outing where they would, they'd go out, gather something and then take it home to process it. Are there any like rules of thumb or ways to think about preparing for that so that 
you can actually make the most out of your trip and make the most out of the things that you gather? Yeah, depending on how far away you are from your home. I mean, a lot of these plants, you know, you think about dandelion, it's usually somewhere in somebody's, you know, gardens. You do want to, you know, the populated areas. Um, I love to harvest after, after like last night, this morning is a great day to harvest. Um, our spring greens, so all the edibles and foraging, they, they lush out right now. You know, they're picking up all that moisture, so they're juicy and and delicious and bright and happy. Um, so you want to bring, I mean, you definitely want to bring gloves, um, just, and some sort of trowel or two. I use a, um, hori hori knife, which is my, one of my favorite tools to get into the roots. Um, cause right now is a great time to, um, harvest dandelion and burdock and make your own food, um, or even roasted coffee. Like we do a, a roasted coffee with dandelion and chicory, um, and burdock. And it's, it's really, it's fun, you know, and, um, so doing that, uh, I think also if, it, <laughs> if it's near a dog park, skip it. Um, but you can always offer, you know, if you, uh, if you have a community, a local community garden, offer, especially right now, offer to weed, especially because a lot of the people that have those community gardens are some of our older folks that might not be able to tend the way they normally do. Um, and you'll find, you'll find all sorts of treasures there. So wild onions are great right now. So those little ones that are sticking up everywhere pull those out, harvest the whole package and, and you'll see. And I love to put everything in vinegar. Um, that's my <laughs> solution, especially when I'm too busy is to put everything in vinegar. Um, let it wilt for the day, um, toss it in some vinegar and you'll have a delightful spring nourishing to, um, spring vinegar to have. And it's always usually pretty oniony cause the wild onions are awesome. Yeah. So, that's one solution, right? So uh, creating an infusion. Um, what other things can people do with some of these wild forage plants mm. uh, that they might be able to use in their either cooking or cocktail uh, endeavors? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, this is the this is you know I don't know Eric. There's these things called bitters. I don't know if you've heard of these before. So <laughs> not not as such, but why don't you uh, educate me? <laughs> um, so bitters, although they're used for cocktails. Um, are really are uh, the first things when we're switching from winter to spring. You know, this is I we call bohemian bitters is yellow dock, burdock, and dandelion. And what those three plants are doing, so we use those as a kind of our base flavor. Base flavors is what I call it, our bittering agents. And then we can layer other flavors flavors on top of that. But that's really helped supporting our liver. So hello, um, you know, it was the original hangover cure. Uh, so, which is crazy to think about, but true. Um, so we love using bitters to help stimulate the liver. Um, it one, both, all of those herbs are what are considered, um, liver supporting. I was going to use a big word, but I won't do that. Um, and so we're really helping to flush the liver out, help with its detox process. It's natural detoxification process and you'll be, you'll feel it. You know, your body's a little bit lighter. Um, you're able to digest fats a little bit better, you know, just kind of coming out of that. But then we can layer some of the really fun things like the sassafras, you know, making a simple base bitter, adding the sassafras root, adding spiceberry bush. Um, and then we can start to even add flowers in once they start to pop up. So I love rose bitters or one of my go-to bitters. I'm hoping <laughs> rose bitters are great. Um, and then if we want to flip it, so say you have that spring vinegar, um, you can even make, you know, just keep it simple and make like an oxymel, which is where we're using that vinegar, maybe keep it pretty clean and just do things that taste good. Like nettles are really kind of earthy and vegetal. Um, 
taking that vinegar and then adding honey to it and making it kind of a nice little honey honey vinegar so and that's fun to play with i love them in sparkling water that's kind of my day-to-day drink um, yeah absolutely yeah. It's, it's almost like a diy non-fermented kombucha yeah yeah pretty much uh, or shrub is what we kind of consider it yeah mm-hmm. it's kind of a shrub um and that was just i mean i always use it because shrubs typically use sugar um, but if I just love the flavors of local honey, cause I'm, mm-hmm. I know I'm spoiled. I know I'm spoiled. I say that every day that I get to do this. Um, and then if you want to go into the, the, like the more sweet flavors, uh, taking violets, if you can find them, um, the, the flowers and making a simple, uh, sugar syrup, uh, will turn a bright blue, purple blue, um, which is just gorgeous, you know, just to have that. And I do that in little vials and I give it to only my best friends. He tells you, <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's just fun. And then, Oh Dan, you know, you can go into the dandelion wines too. And you know, since, since we have so much time, <laughs> um, yeah. you might as well, because it's kind of a pain. I mean, we did, you have to ha- harvest about a half a gallon of dandelion flower heads and then mix it with lemons and limes and, and add some sugar. And it does this really awesome natural ferment. So, Whoa. Yeah. I love that it. That sounds cool. I, um, I literally, when people want to do, I do barters for you know, work hours. So go harvest the, on the April walk, go harvest the, uh, dandelion flowers and then I make the wine and they can get, take the glass. So. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, wow. So what kind of equipment do you find yourself using most often in the processing of these, these plants? Because you mentioned you've got kind of like a specialized knife that you use for the harvesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what tools, when you get into your production area, what tools do you find yourself using most? I imagine like a mortar and pestle is something that you might find in an apothecary shop such that it is like kind of like the universal symbol of the apothecary almost. Yeah. Um, but what, what else do you use? Um, I, I mean, honestly, quart jars, I mean, it's like the, you know, just having quart jars on hand, um, really good. Um, I love Joyce Chen's, uh, s- snipping scissors. So it's scissors cause we use a lot of cutting. I have a, a dehydrator here, which isn't necessary. Um, but it does preserve the bright color of the plants versus drying them on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to look around. I love my tincture bottles. Uh, yeah, just I imagine I mean, like yeah. uh, sifters and strainers. Yes, tons of those. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You definitely, you know, strainers, sifters. Um, for me, it's a lot of uh, baskets. Like we hang things in baskets to dry, and they dry really quickly uh, in here. Uh, we'll start a low fire at night and dry stuff overnight. Um, yeah, string. I mean, it's just yeah, it's like you know, we could. <laughs> string somebody up in here it's kind of it's kind of weird so yeah yeah but yeah i think for me that's kind of what we what we want what we use the most um just really basic really basic things and tools for me so i imagine if we were to make like a a shopping list for somebody who is going to go out get some beautiful plants and then come back home to process them the shopping list would probably look something like uh you're going to want a flat of mason jars you're going to want you know um maybe a nut milk bag or some uh, reusable cheesecloth type material yeah. for, for straining. Um, I love cheesecloth, but uh, yeah. it, it's a single use thing. So I, I, I tend to use nut milk bags, which are very inexpensive uh, when I need to do some kind of intermediate level straining before you use something like a coffee filter uh, yeah. to get like, like all of the particulates out. Yeah. Um, 
So those are those are mine. Uh, I everybody pretty much is going to have like a you know like a little sieve or a strainer at home in their kitchen, so that's good. Um, now you you mentioned a couple times the different flavor profiles being derived from fresh versus dried herbs, and then other little kind of side attributes like the the color preservation aspect of it, which. You know, especially if you're doing something like making an attractive tea blend like you do is right. obviously having a little pop of color in there is, is going to be, you know, visually pleasing. So you want to do that. But besides that one little detail, are there any other ways to think about when you want something to be dried versus when you want to consume something fresh? Yeah. So with fresh, we're always looking for volatile oils. That's why particularly with you know, the fresh, you know, if we're just going to use the example of mint, you know, fresh mint versus dried mint is a great way, you know, you're getting all those aromatics um, into whatever you're making. And so I really love that. And then dried, it's the only time you can, you know, it, it, you can put, you know, we put, um, I dry nettles and put nettles in, you know, my um, meatballs and stuff like that. We add it to our cooking for nourishment. Um, but things, you know, a little bit of dried mint isn't going to taste as strong as fresh mint. So, so it's, it's, it's using them that way. Things I do like to dry are things like spice berries. Um, a lot of the bark style dry, the concentrate, the flavor, once the water's kind of coming out of it. And so that's kind of, that's my favorite. So I tend to prefer the, um, the mint family fresh and then dry, like more of the berries and, and flowers and leaves and stuff. So, mm. yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I imagine if you're dealing with with roots and barks, in in many cases, you're at least going to cut and sift it, if not uh, grind it to a powder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We like to cut and sift because we want to we don't we don't want to use all because powders don't last as long. Um, so I like to powder my own stuff. I do have, I do have my, my Vitamix in the back. That's kind of my secret tool. So I'll make my own powders and capsules and, um, you know, all the kinds of stuff back here. So there's, there's all those things. I always forget. I'm like going back through my, my my brain. (laughs) No, 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 this is good. I like walking through this and, and just to kind of put this in a context that maybe more people are familiar with. So the idea of powders lasting, you know, less long than a larger granules or larger chunks of yeah. the spice. So the way, the way to think about that is um, like getting coffee that's already ground versus buying whole coffee beans. That's exactly. the, kind of the way I think of it is like anybody who knows anything about good coffee is going to buy the beans and you're going to grind the beans right before you make the coffee. Yep. That's how you get the most kind of flavor out of it and the most benefit out of it as well. The same does carry true for spices. So that's why you'll see like mm-hmm. most chefs are going to have a coffee grinder specifically for their spices because then they're going to go, they're going to grab the whole spice. They're either going to toast it um, to, to kind of wake up some of the oils in the pan, like dry toast it and then grind it, or they'll just stick it in the grinder and, and create the powder for their spice rub or their baking project or what have you. Um, and you know, that kind of carries true for exactly what we're talking about as well. The, the bigger the pieces, you know, the more um, kind of the flavor gets. It, it's not exposed to air, so it oxidizes less, right? Yeah, yeah. So you just want to limit the surface area. I mean, there's always a place for powders, um, but for sure we want to limit when we're, when we're, because usually dried herbs cut and sifted will last two years at least. Um, not necessarily on the aromatics. We like to get those, you know, in and out in a year because they definitely lose their their pot not their potency and and their flavor so 
Yeah. So for sure. And I think uh, people who are curious about this world, Mm -hmm. you could learn a lot about the different kind of ways you can process this by simply going on uh, either Star West Botanicals uh, website or Mountain Rose Herbs website. And you can kind of see like, okay, well, they've got dandelion, they've got dandelion root, they've got dandelion leaf, they've got dandelion, et cetera. And so you can, you can um, almost do a little bit of scouting ahead of time by going on these websites and seeing what they're offering. Um, And then you can try and, you know, almost imitate the way that they're processing them on, on your end. Um, now you mentioned the, the gel caps. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that because obviously we're kind of in the, you know, you've used the term nutritive. Uh, yeah. so we're kind of in that supplement, the natural supplement space. Mm-hmm. How do you use these gel caps and, and how do you go about, um, I, I suppose you're using them as almost like serving sizes. Yeah. I mean, I, for, for me, um, it doesn't make sense to when I get, really good turmeric and dry my own turmeric and powder my own turmeric from a local farm to, to then buy a turmeric capsule. So, so that's my, that's my favorite way. And a lot of times I'll just, I do custom blends for my clients that, that don't necessarily want to take a alcohol based tincture or they're not going to drink a tea. Um, so I'll make a, you know, a capsule for them. So it's just specific. Um, and sometimes I'll just, I'll capsule up things for, I mostly do it for my family because it is a, pain in the butt but yeah it's for serving size and convenience you know taking having you know a hundred it takes me about an hour to do a hundred capsules of turmeric and that kind of suits it's just it makes sense yeah Yeah. wow that does uh, all right so maybe i'm probably i'm no having heard that i'm probably going to lean more toward the uh the tinctures infusions and uh, yeah that that other side of things (laughs) oh the hour the hour but you're connecting with the plants eric yeah yeah, exactly Uh, I, I need to, I need to get a really good playlist uh, yeah. for that. <laughs> it's, for me, it's actually one of the times where I'm like, it's like the Zen There's a lot of Zen zones that I, I don't do anymore and that my, my helpers help me with. Um, but that is one that if I'm doing it for our family, I'll kind of sit and zone out. So yeah. 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 yeah it's the repetitive kind of, uh, getting your hands dirty. I, I, I like washing dishes and I like chopping veg. Yeah. Like that's kind of where I, you know, the repetitive motion, the, the idea that, that you're, uh, entering into this task in order to make something better than it was when you began the task is like really satisfying. Um, so I'm, I'm with that. What's, um, like an idea for folks who are thinking about planting maybe some herbs gardens? Um, what's, what are some maybe pitfalls to avoid or easy wins to get if you're thinking about either in an urban setting or maybe a, a more suburban or rural setting, you want to start planting some seeds and, and getting some um, some nice herbs on their way in a um, non-wild environment? Yeah. So if you're, there's, you know, there's definitely seeds that are really easy to grow um, herb wise. Um, but most of the time with herbs, they take a long time. They're not your fast thing. So basils are a great one because you're going to have success. Um, and I always like to start people being successful. So playing in the basil family, lemon basil is one of my favorite herbs to grow, harvest, dry and have throughout the year. Um, the flavors are so delicious, fresh. Um, it makes, it changes every cocktail I taste all of a sudden I'm just constantly drink, 
<laughs> goes really well with gin and I'm a huge gin fan. So, Ugh. so the basils are really fun. Um, you know, any of those you can kind of play with. I'm looking at my garden right now cause I'm like, Oh, what else is out there? Um, lemongrass is actually one that is fairly expensive and, and kind of hard to find. Um, I think commercial growers, uh, it's a little bit harder to germinate, but, but home growers seem to have a lot more luck with it. So, so lemongrass and it creates, it is big, um, but it loves a pot, so you can bring it in and out. Like I'm bringing mine, my, and I overwinter them, um, and then I chop them all down and, and make roots for the next one. So basils and lemongrass. Um, lavender's tough. Um, so the plants I would buy, <laughs> which just to make it easier, because you're going to be supporting your local farms. Um, common good city farm. Uh, I think they have a plant sale every year, and they're. Um, they have a big herb section because they have an herb garden back there. Uh, but they they do, uh, lavender is an awesome one to buy. Uh, lemon verbena is hands down my favorite. My favorite happy herb is what I call it. Uh, Anna's hyssop is another one that you can, you can buy. Um, yeah, so kind of stick with the aromatics um, and plant all your mints in pots. Don't, don't get, don't get, don't get overconfident because they will take yeah. over everything. So. Yeah. What about um? What about zones and uh, say uh, shade versus sun uh, considerations like that? How do how do you approach those? Uh, I guess limiting factors. Yeah. So if you're as long as you have a south facing sun, um, you usually are you usually should should do pretty well um, in growing most herbs. Anytime you can put things like uh, heat seeking plants like lavender and rosemary against a wall. Um, they're going to really flush out for you. Um, but yeah, you do need, most herbs need sun, unless we're talking like the, the spring ephemeral herbs, such as violets, you know, they don't need, they don't, they can grow in the shade. Um, so, so if you're a shady garden, I'm sorry, find a little yeah. sunny spot. It's just, it's just not your friend. So. I know. I, oh, I that have you? like a, oh. I have like a Northeast facing one. It's oh. not great. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I so what I was able to do actually, um, I started a little project. It's not necessarily in the herb space, but it is in the flavor space. I started um, planting some super hot peppers. Oh yeah, fun yeah. And those are a little bit tricky. So what I did is I bought a, a propagator. So for about fifty to a hundred bucks, and it, it's an investment, but you can use it for other things, and you can reuse it year, you know, time after time, year after year yeah. for different plant projects. A propagator is basically this, this little setup where you have a heat pad, you have a little plastic tray, you have a, a plastic dome over it that contains some of the heat and, and some of the moisture, and then what you can do is, you know, you can you can start your seeds in there. There's usually a, a light running over the top, or you can purchase lights that you know are like kind of bendy, and you can adjust them. To where the plants need them to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I've actually had good success. I have in my bathtub, in my uh, spare bathroom, mm -hmm. I have like 18 super hot peppers. Yay. Just chilling under some lights. So it's a, it's a kind of a weird way to use the bathtub, but uh, uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting those outside once uh, it does hit summer here in DC. And um, once I, once those are out of the propagator, I'm going to try and start some herbs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love the thing about herbs is they're perennials. So you don't have to grow them every year. Um, once you get them started, you know, that's what I was just looking at my garden. I'm like, oh, I have, you know, I, we put in a huge community garden in the back and most of it is medicinal, but, um, the, the thyme plants this year are phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. and so it's kind of, you're like, oh, this is a, this is great. <laughs> I just have to fill in some space with some basils. So. 
Now, if you were to create a garden like this, is there anything to keep in mind on either the front end, so like preparing the garden for planting, or on the back end, like you, you were just mentioning overwintering your lemongrass? Yeah. Um, so like, is there anything to do either with the plants or the actual physical soil itself to, to make sure that you have a productive patch of earth? Yeah, well, here's the, the nice thing about most, basil is kind of the exception. It does like to get fed a little bit, but most herbs are um, self-sufficient. So they don't really need a lot of fertilizer. Um, you know, you might want to throw, if it, when we're in that deep heat, uh, putting water on them. But for the most part, they're pretty self-sustaining. Um, they're not finicky. They don't, they definitely aren't bug, you know, there's no, no worry about bug. Um, but maybe adding a little bit of, so that the roots can grow just a little aeration if you have clay soil. Uh, that's like, that's kind of my, always my basic. And then we get, you know, we get horse manure here. That's nice. So that, that's one that I use a lot is just to kind of add into the soil every year for everybody. And then I, for me, it's covering so that you don't get weed seeds. Um, if you do have a decent plot that you want to cover it with some straw so that you're not getting weed seeds in there and mm. just, you know, that that's like the big, you know, it's not, that's, I do not like weeding. So so keeping it as clean as you possible. So yeah. So so you do the you'd put down your rows or your your patches, and then in between those you just scatter straw um, from the time they're little to the time you harvest. I guess. Uh, you're doing. I'm doing a blanket, so they'll grow up through the straw, and it makes like a nice little, um, yeah. you know, blanket. So they'll pop up through. And nice. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a nice it's a nice way. I've been doing that for a couple of years now, and it's really worked well. Hmm. for us. Very cool. Yeah. I'm sort of new to this. Um, I purchased, uh, these kind of like three cow troughs. I've got these, these window wells that get a decent amount of sunlight. So I've purchased these like three, um, galvanized cow troughs and, uh, spent, you know, took several trips to the hardware store in my little car <laughs> to get enough stones and then gravel and then soil to, to fill these things oh, with. Love it. And, um, so we're, we're set up. Um, have you had any pest issues? Because I have some squirrels oh. that love that love to dig. Yeah, this is this is now personal therapy. Podcast <laughs> listeners, forget forget you. This is all about me now. Yeah, and they love roots too. So you just have to. They love digging up those roots and and taking little bites out of everything. So they like to taste the peppers before they ruin them for you. Um, for us, we we do have. I mean, I'm obviously in a rural area, so a little bit different. But um, I love to have deer fencing up and some sort of fencing around it. Um, and the plants tend, the herb plants, the really volatile oilings like rosemary and mint, they don't like those smells, so they tend to stay away. So on the outside perimeter of my garden, we have sections of, of overrun, <laughs> I will say, uh, mints and now nettles. Uh, so, so yeah, so kind of using the smell, see if that works. Um, hot pepper spray is one thing that you can spray on stuff um, once you get there. And I just make a, a, you know, a simple kind of soap insecticide. It's not it's just soap and I think I can't remember who made the recipe and then blended up cayenne peppers and spray that all over and it seems to help with kind of all sorts of bugs but yeah we do um we do have a lot of bug issues here um in general because of it's very wet and humid so our bugs are extra but you, if you have that small of a bed um I think you'll be you'll be able to see them and find them and save your plants before they <laughs> get eaten up by something yeah, for sure. Well, that's good advice on the um, the kind of um, like the pepper or soap 
aspect of things. I've, I've also heard of something called neem oil, N-E-E-M. Oh, yeah. um, yeah. That's something that all the people on the pepper forums uh, love yeah. to, to spread on their leaves for aphid stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's a whole rabbit hole you can go down. And uh, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm in this... Uh, kind of period of nesting right now we've got a you know a fairly new home we've got a brand new puppy who my wife is currently like pinning down in the next room so we can have this <laughs> podcast uh, <laughs> and uh so it's been fun for me to use these little plant projects as a as a way to to make the place feel a little bit more homey because yeah. you know what's better than uh you know making you know, your own pizza dough and then walking outside and picking a handful of fresh basil and then uh, popping that, you know, in the oven and then being able to enjoy it. I, I just can't think of anything more satisfying, you know? Yeah, nothing. I, I you know, um, you know, we have a little hobby farm here. And so to have our own eggs and, and veggies and mints and apples and it's, you know, there's nothing. It's just amazing. So... And I know right now there's actually some folks, um, Suzanne Long, who I met uh, on the West Coast uh, at the American Distilling Institute's annual judging this year. Uh, she's been growing uh, kind of a revamped version of a victory garden, which is something that was really big uh, during World War II, uh, as obviously there were food rationing situations. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are kind of going back to that sort of thing now and saying, hey, this is this is kind of relevant to today. Yes. Yes, very much so. And that's, I mean, I've always, I'm, I, I'm the youngest of 10 kids. And so we have always had the victory garden, <laughs> meaning that we, that's kind of what we lived off and survived off for years. Um, and so when I kind of was in your situation where we were living in a condo, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, how do I grow? How do I find a space? And we ended up renting a little plot of a community garden so that we'd always have at least something, you know, so... It's... Yep, and if if you are one of our DC listeners, there are a number of community gardens. Uh, I believe there's one uh, in Petworth near Upshur Street, and then there's also mm -hmm. a big one near Fort Totten. Actually, yeah, uh, it's right up the hill from the the Fort Totten Metro Station. And I'm sure up in the northwest and upper northwest areas of DC, there's there's probably a lot more. So if you are a DC listener, uh, it's there's actually a lot of educational programs uh, available here. There's uh, some composting education programs that I'm aware of. There are actually vermiculture mm -hmm. programs, which is mm -hmm. uh, using worms to kind of help uh, in improve the quality of the soil. And then there's also, I believe, some some beekeeping stuff as well. Yeah. So surprisingly, yeah. DC is not a terrible place for you to uh, actually start using these opportunities to, to really cultivate this hobby. And obviously, I'm sure the classes right now are canceled uh, until further notice. But uh, keep your eye out, especially if you are in an urban environment. Chances are you're not the first person who's been curious about something like compost. Yeah. You can get it. And in, in fact, in D.C., they'll actually, uh, up to a certain dollar amount, they will pay. They will literally refund you for your compost, like, a little device um if, you, if you're getting one of those little compost buckets or the one of the, the the things with the hand crank that you turn over to aerate it uh they'll actually refund you for that so i would encourage most people uh who are listening to this in, in an urban setting to actually get curious and, and see what uh resources your your city has to offer because uh, guess what you, you you can probably do more than you think you can yeah and I agree. I think it's 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 one of those things that once you start it, it kind of builds the passion, and then you 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 can keep adding on to it. But I think the nice thing, even if you're in an urban urban area, herbs are one of those 
added value plants that you can have um, for both flavor and for the medicinal values of all of them too. So for sure. Yeah. So, so let's talk cocktails because this is ostensibly a cocktail podcast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> can you give our listeners, you mentioned it a little earlier on, but can you kind of walk our listeners through some of the highlights of your syrup? catalog oh, and hmm. maybe um like how you came to develop them and what you love to use them for oh. and maybe if they want some where they can get some yeah well online um <laughs> so these i um i've always loved cooking and you know did tried multiple businesses before this one and um one of those was uh making kind of this was before i was an herbalist making cocktail syrups and just for fun. And, um, what ended up happening when I was, when I started the business, it actually came to me in one of those light bulb moments of, um, elderberry is a great flavor. And that's one of the first syrups you learn about, um, builds immunity, helps with bronchial function, helps kind of make you feel better all over. Um, delicious flavor. I had never tasted it before besides when I harvest them in the, you know, when I was a child. Um, but as an adult, I remember waking up one morning going, Okay, I'm going to, you know, make elderberry for the family and my son's lemonade wasn't sweet enough. So I added it and um, it was so good that we added vodka. And so then that's kind of how that started. And so now I pair our elderberry with lavender. So it makes a really nice, especially in the spring, um, just a splash in your gin and tonic or in your champagne. It's just a really fun way. I like to make herbs easy and accessible. Um, I kind of, this was always what we call my gateway product. I use the quote, the air quotes. Um, <laughs> cause I just love to introduce people about the herbs. So we talk about the flavor profile first, and then, um, I'll tell you about the medicinal benefits afterwards. So we have four, four, four standard flavors. So we have our elderberry lavender, our rose hip hibiscus, which is like our little sweet sour sass. Um, so fantastic for margaritas and our lemon cardamom, which is a little more sophisticated. Um, I love it with rum drinks and then our, uh, orange fennel. Uh, that has nettles in it, which I've talked about before. Uh, and it's awesome for like an old fashioned or something fun. So we have those, and then we do these really fun kind of seasonal bitters, um, that are always unique. Um, I love teaching classes. So we do a lot of bitters teaching classes out here and I bring you in with the, the draw of bitters and then I teach you about what the herbs do. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's And what's your website in case people are, uh, getting a little stir crazy and they, they think maybe, Oh, that elderberry lavender <laughs> sounds really good. It, if is it really would good. maybe show up on my doorstep in a couple days. Yeah, we don't, we don't. Um, so we're shipping right now all the time. So it's, uh, wildrootsapothecary.com. So uh, you just Google me and we're the one in Sperryville. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the easiest way. And then we're on Instagram, wildroots underscore apothecary and Facebook. I think that's all my that's all my details. But you can always email me too at hello at Wild Roots Apothecary if you have any questions or yeah. need anything. For sure. One of the things that I'm noticing in just the flavors that you described um, just now is the color echoes almost mm -hmm. with the with the elderberry lavender. I mean, that's that's a purple echo of a you know a light purple echo of a deep purple, uh, and then same with the the rose hibiscus. Right, rose and hibiscus are these very, you know, red, red and pink kind of uh, colors, and and I think that it's just interesting that you're pairing some of these um, 
families together, even though I don't necessarily think of elderberry and lavender being in the same family, but there's something about that color, like those, uh, the lovely anthocyanins, the, the, those, mm-hmm. uh, purple antioxidants that everybody's going crazy for these days. Yeah. Um, that, that also yields a really beautiful flavor pairing of the two. Yeah. I didn't even, that your genius comes out again right there. I didn't even think about it like that. <laughs> Well, so. I mean, orange, orange and fennel are a little bit, uh, you know, they're not the same color, but it's funny. Uh, I recently stuck both of them inside the cavity of a turkey together, and it turned out great. Deliciousness, uh, right? Yeah. You know, so th- there are, I, I love some of the, the more intuitive things about your, your flavor combos, you know, just making, you know, making it accessible. You mentioned that you have your kind of gateway products. Um, mm-hmm. We do too. You know, ours is our orange bitters. Yeah. Uh, nobody's intimidated by orange. Everybody likes orange. Uh, and, but you know, it kind of gets that foot in the door with people and, uh, allows them to kind of start working with things on a, on, on a sensory level. Um, yeah. now with cocktails in particular, mm-hmm. we've got these syrups, we've got bitters. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done any work with, uh, plants and herbs as garnishes and, you know, ways to prepare those either fresh or dried? Um, yeah, so I, I do the um, cocktails here in town at Francis Bar. And so they let me kind of go a little bit wild. (laughs) Per their request, I'm allowed to. So we do a lot like right now, it's pansies. I mean, the gorgeous pansies that are all blooming, um, that like to be picked. Um, So I love to pick those lay them uh, with a paper towel, if you can find one or not even a paper towel at this point, just whatever towel to absorb the moisture. And, yeah, there's no more of those. <laughs> so there's no more of those. Um, and and put them in the fridge and use those. Uh, I often love to, you know, wind things around the glass that you normally wouldn't see. Um, so we just, the plan was to do kind of dandelion flowers around. We had a highball that was coming out. So I had the flush of dandelion. So I use a lot of flowers and herbs. They're big, fluffy drinks. Um and then I do, I do back it off. I do it like sometimes I'll make it a little bit more subtle with the bitters. So yeah. we, we definitely try to keep it, keep it as balanced as possible, but it is, I'm, we are spoiled here. So we just do, you know, I just did a cocktail with quince, quince flowers, you know, which are gorgeous. They don't taste like much, but they're really pretty to, really pretty to look at. Yeah. And I guess my big piece of advice for folks who are going to be trying to use especially those volatile herbs that we were talking about as as garnishes or as kind of like the uh, they would call them nosegays back in in the in olden times. Right. Something to to make it smell nice. Um, What you really want to avoid doing is you want to avoid unless you're looking for extra bitterness, you want to avoid crushing it up and, um, you know, almost like. you know, kind of ripping the leaf. If you're using it as a garnish, you want to do kind of like what the, the I call it the bartender's slap or the bartender's yeah. like, um, you know, you'll see the bartender, if you're at a really nice cocktail bar, take a, a sprig of mint or a sprig of um, basil and they'll either put it between their two palms and give it a nice little clap or they'll turn over their hand and they'll kind of whack it against the back of their hands. Those are the two most common methods I've seen for activating those volatile aromatic compounds without then releasing some of the the more bitter aspects of it that that might be better for a culinary application as opposed to a a drink application. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, um, 
folks should definitely check out your Instagram. Um, I, and you, you've been doing some other stuff on social media as well. I, I, I saw that you went live and you were kind of doing some, some, uh, some free, kind of like free form education uh, <laughs> recently. Uh, what, what, what else have you been doing uh, in the digital space uh, since we're now kind of all constrained to our own homes? Yeah, seriously. Um, so I will, and actually I'm doing, I'm, all my stuff is getting done today, but I did a, we have a private uh, Facebook community group that you can come and ask your questions. It's, you know, and I did a 25 minute, this is the weeds in your garden. Um, I was trying to get away from, you know, the brain space of dealing with the viral, the virus, as I call it. Um, but we're doing a lot of that. We're trying to help people support with kitchen medicine. So I work, uh, you know, the cocktail stuff is, is really fun for me, but my, my passion in my heart is to really use herbs for wellness. Uh, and so using kitchen spices and herbs and, and anything we can do to support our bodies if we are sick or want to stay well as much as possible. You know, um, my sister actually is recovering, thank goodness, from um, the virus. So we're it's hitting closer and closer to home. So we're just trying to keep people as aware as we can using medicines that have been around for centuries. Um, and um, you can make your own. So, so that's kind of it. And then I just, I got to get outside. So I'm taking people on, like, we're going to go on a weed walk to see the spring ephemerals today, which are things like bloodroot and Dutchman's britches. And so all these fun things that we don't use medicinally, uh, but are just beautiful. So I'll take you out yeah, there. So that'll be posted sure. later today. So. Cool. So yeah. cool. So cool. Um, and so we'll put, I'll, I'll have you send me that, um, that Facebook group link. So sure. that I'm guessing that people just need to, um, to request and then you'll let them into the Facebook group and then they can start uh, enjoying all the, the resources there. Yeah. And ask questions. That's, that's the main purpose for the group. Show me your pictures. I'll tell you what you're, you know, eat that, don't eat that. Um, <laughs> put that in some bitters. Uh, and so people in anything, you know, what do I do if I have a bee sting? So, I mean, they're just kind of learning about herbal remedies from me. And I always, I'm very, um, gentle in my teaching. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know, Colleen, you're pretty fierce. I know, I know <laughs> in my own way. <laughs> um, all right. That's, this has been, this has been cool. I think I, I'm, I'm more and more excited to maybe go out and, uh, if it warms up today, I might go do a little digging around in my little, uh, dirt troughs. Yeah. Might as um, well. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners, either about, uh, plants or some of the, you know, different processing applications before we move on to the, uh, the lightning round here? Yeah, I think for me, um, the, my biggest takeaway from, from just, just get started um, you know, that's why I love cocktails is because it's such a fun way to start, um, you know, using different ingredients and it's just playing, you know, really that's how, that's how we get to know plants is by playing and going outside and taking it. Cause you don't have to grow a pepper to put it in your salad. You can go and harvest chickweed and put it in there or go harvest a dandelion and make your own bitter. So just get in there and, and play and ask questions, um, yeah. to whoever you can find expert wise or, or not. So yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's get some lightning round going here. And, and I had to make one or two little adjustments because you've actually done the lightning round way back when. Uh, so let's start <laughs> with this. What's an herb or botanical you're obsessed with right now and why? And it doesn't have to be something that's currently growing right now. Oh, see, just, you struck me. I, oh. I still am obsessed with spice berry. I just, it keeps popping up. Um, just, 
love the way it, when you put it in your mouth, it's kind of like the chai spices of um, allspice, clove, and then a little bit of peppercorn. And this is just the twigs. And, and so I just, I love playing with it during this season. It's just fun. And 1-8 Distilling here in D.C. actually uses the spice bush as uh, one of their signature botanicals in their gin. So oh, that's cool. a, if, if you're looking to, uh, to really taste that flavor and you're here in D.C. or somewhere where 1-8 Distilling distributes, then uh, pick up a bottle of their gin and uh, you'll get a, a good little pop of that spice bush. Mm, cool. If you were a cocktail ingredient, what would you be and why? Okay, I have two. So chartreuse, obviously. <laughs> um, I just, all the botanicals smush on mine. That one's obvious. But I love hydrosols. So using the hydrosols, the plant waters, I think these are the next cutting ingredients. Um, for example, I have a gorgeous Norwegian spruce, spruce hydrosol that we um, distilled. And it smells, I mean, it's just piney and delicious. So spritzing that onto your old-fashioned to add that. Instead of having to harvest from the plant, let's just take it from here. Um, so that is kind of my, my fun one. So we have a lavender, we have so many, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm so blessed. And we're starting to do more and more hydrocells and hydrocells, just FYI, are the plant water that comes off when you're making essential oils. So, yeah. uh, we're using our own plants to harvest and, and make fun things with. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, you know, what the oil goes one direction, the water goes another direction, but it's, yeah. uh, it's a byproduct that can actually be used, right? Yeah. And it's not, and it's cheap. I mean, not, mm -hmm. Cheap in, in all relative sense. Right, so, right, for sure. Accessible. Yeah, I, I'd love to do maybe an episode, a, a Barkhart Foundations episode on hydrosols at some point, uh, kind of get into more of the science. But yeah, definitely an underrated type of cocktail ingredient. Mm -hmm. uh, the ones that most people will be familiar with would be like the rose water or the orange blossom water right. that, that are typically used to create things like orgeat and some of those um, more exotic or tiki-oriented cocktail ingredients for sure. Yes, yes. Um, and then I also, before we move on to the next question, I have, uh, I have a secret to tell you. Um, and I guess everybody who's listening right now, uh, <laughs> and that secret is that if Europe reopens by September, uh, this guy's got two thumbs and is headed to chartreuse. Oh, <gasps> uh, yay. <laughs> I mean, that's a great, I'm so happy for you. That tone. Yeah. Did you hear that tone? Oh, that's awesome. That's, I hope it reopens then just for you. Yes, I'm. Uh, yeah, if for no one else, just for me, because uh, I've been dying to go there for a long time, oh. and now we've got this uh, this weird little situation. Um, so yeah, for yeah. folks who uh, who are maybe less familiar, Chartreuse is actually produced in this uh, region of France that's kind of subalpine. It's in it's in the eastern portion of France. It's uh, near a place called Voiron. So um, hopefully. We can get out there and maybe I'll even get, get some cool video while we're, while we're out there exploring the mountains and I don't know, maybe I can get somebody to take me through, through the mountains and, uh, help identify some herbs. Yeah. It's a lot of that mentally stuff. I'm just so curious. I just want to break it down. <laughs> yeah. I've got a, I've got a friend, uh, shout out to Brett Steigerwald, who's, uh, over at uh, Lion Distilling Company and, and he and I always nerd out about the herbs. So, uh, someday Colleen, we'll get together, you, me and Brett, and we'll have just like a, just like an herb nerd, uh, session and we can, uh, we, we actually have gotten some stuff from France, some, some herbs, and, uh, we can bust those out and, uh, kind of sniff, sniff what, what's going on in the, uh, the, the genopy and all the, all the chartreuse oh, yeah. things. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll bring plant, I'll bring the fresh plants so that we can taste them when they, before they distill them all up. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, if you 
could create your dream cocktail bar, what would it be like? Just kind of paint us a picture. What's what's playing on the music? What's uh, you know what what's the bar made out of? Give us a little scene here. Oh wow! Um, so definitely st- a big stone. So you're going to have to come to the top of the mountain. Um, I just I want I have this dream of creating um, excursions where you can you know we go and we spend the whole day and we finish at the top of the mountain where you get food and a cocktail bar. We get to hang out all night under the stars. Um, so it's always makeshift cause we want to move it to where the plants are growing. So just to experience that, uh, and then just lots of, lots of fun, fun florally, uh, and then just, just playing with it all. Just, just having fun with it. So it sounds like it's like a, a movable feast. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. I love, yeah, it's, that's kind of my, that would be my dream right there. And everything changes all the time. To, to my whim or to what's what's happening in nature. So connecting all the dots. It would have to be some weird combination of like an Airstream bar mixed with like a pack horse mixed with a, a very gentle ATV. <laughs> yeah, something. So we figure it out. You know, like what are those things that go, the gondolas that go up the gondolas. side of the mountains? Yes, yes. That's, that's exactly it. what I was thinking. Come to my gondola. <laughs> my gondola retreat. <laughs> oh man. There's, there's apparently a speakeasy in New York city that is literally a toll booth. It's a two seat speakeasy. Oh, cool. Uh, so I don't see any reason why you couldn't do a two seat gondola bar. I love it. Or we can yeah. just come hang out or the other simple one where you can just come out here down by the river and we'll, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> yeah, that works too. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. That was cool. I did not, I did not expect that answer from you, but I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, What's an unusual or maybe controversial view that you have in the spirits or cocktail, or I guess in our case, the the herbal world? I think for me, um, I just, there, there is a sense there, there's a people that like cocktails tend to have a little bit of higher palate taste a lot of times. Um, and they just like the finesse and the finite ingredients. And I think, to make it more accessible for all, you know, um, and meet people at their level. And so that's kind of, you know, all of our cocktail syrups, they mix with vodka for a reason, <laughs> because you just, just want it to be more accessible and more, um, just so people start to play, just keep playing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's yeah. interesting because cocktails do have that aspect of, uh, almost like elitism, just kind of wrapped up in what a cocktail is, right? Cocktails are, by their very nature, completely non-essential. Yes. Food, water, sleep, shelter, you need them. You you can't run a cocktail through any sort of filter and be like, oh yeah, I need that though. I can't live with that without that. Uh, So I, so I do think it, it, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so easy for people to get like really, uh, maybe a little bit pretentious about their cocktails because it's in that inherently kind of pretentious space where you, you have this luxury of time and materials to create this, uh, that, that a lot of people don't have. So I really do like the idea of making things more accessible. And for me, uh, that is the way that I think about the difference between a cocktail renaissance and a cocktail revolution. Uh, Mm. because cocktail renaissances take place or renaissances in general take place at the top levels of society with people who have lots of money and lots of, um, free time and power and revolutions take place at all, uh, levels of society. And, uh, I think that kind of ties us back to things that are growing, things that are essential, 
Um, so I think in order for us to really claim that a cocktail revolution is taking place, I think we need to show some sort of evidence of everybody having some sort of better access than they did maybe 10, 20 years ago. I think that's yeah. kind of an indicator for me. Yeah. I mean, the ABC stores are still open for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> essential. AB Considered essential. A ABC stores uh, for folks who are not from Virginia are the are the liquor stores. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It's uh, it's it's <laughs> interesting that uh, everywhere they pretty much everywhere. I believe Pennsylvania shut theirs down, which is crazy to me. Um, mm -hmm. But I think pretty much everywhere uh, they've been d determined or deemed as essential, which is which is nice. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna put in the links uh, in on the show notes page your social handles, your Facebook group, and all the ways to connect with you and to head over to wildrootsapothecary.com and uh, fill up a shopping cart with beautiful syrups and bitters and hydrosols and teas for you to enjoy and make this quarantine situation a bit more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, but uh, Colleen, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on, being a guest again, and continuing to beat that drum of uh, going out picking stuff off the ground and stick it in your face. <laughs> it's uh yeah, I mean that's that's the the gist of it. Just try it and if it doesn't taste good, spit it out. Just kidding. Um <laughs> but no, Eric, thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. I uh I loved being on and and enjoying all of the the this that and the others that we talked about. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully we'll be able to do it in person soon. I uh, know. just just for uh, for everybody who uh, has some time to take a drive, can you just share uh, the location of your shop and um, if if it's operating right now? We are not. We are we are currently closed, um, but we are right next to Copper Fox Distillery out in Sperryville, Virginia, um, and also our other brew brew friends that are starting. Um, Pen Druid is also kind of up right behind us. So we're right along, if you follow 211 out to the mountains, just we're right at the base of it. It's gorgeous. Come come for the day. Um, come for the weekend. It's, so it's if people start heading uphill, they've gone too far? <laughs> if you start, yeah, if it start, starts winding and roaming. And there is no, so download your map before you come because we still don't have cell phone service out here. I always forget that minor detail. So yeah, no cell phone <laughs> that, service. That, that one got me the first time I came out to I, visit. <laughs> I recall, I recall, so... Luckily, the folks in Sperryville are very kind and willing to give directions. We are. Yes, for sure. All right, everybody. That's been another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Thanks for listening. And uh, otherwise, cheers, everybody. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. 
can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed. Plant Magic and Herb Love, courtesy of Colleen O'Brien of Wild Roots Apothecary, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.